So we are traveling through the book of First Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to grab them and open them up. If you have a digital device, First Thessalonians chapter 2. Hey, we are now in the middle of February. So uh, how many of you, statistically speaking, are, are still on track for your New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. Still on track for New Year's resolutions. All right, all right, some of you. The studies have shown that by the middle of February, 80% of New Year's resolutions have already failed. So that's interesting. Uh, it also says that 90% of New Year's resolutions are actually in something to do with typically your physical fitness. Whether that means you want to exercise more, drop some pounds, gain some mass, you want to change your dietary habits, whatever that might look like, that's kind of in that same category. 90% of New Year's resolutions are there. How do you grow? How do you take care of yourself? How do you mature as you are seeing where your body has been and what you would like your body perhaps to look like? Many other New Year's resolutions might have to do with maybe your finances, wanting to not overspend, maybe living by budget and actually putting together a budget that you can live by. Maybe it has to do with relationships you want to be better at and less this, more this. Those are the kinds of things that we typically are trying to think of and not necessarily as a resolution for the new year, but also a goal in life. I prefer to set goals and to have a goal, you typically write it down so that you can keep it in front of you. And what we're going to be seeing here in the second part of chapter two is Paul is writing this letter to the church of the Thessalonians, and he's going to be talking about how do you grow? How do you mature? What are some things that are characteristic of the Christian life as they, as a young church, are moving forward? And as we've talked about, he is not able to be with them. When he was speaking in the Thessalonian church, or it wasn't a church yet, when he first arrived in Thessalonica and he was speaking there, he was actually driven out. He spoke about three times in the Sabbath, and they are not Sabbath in the synagogue, and they did not want to hear about the Jesus stuff. And so the Jews and the law enforcement around that area forced him out, along with his missionary compatriots, uh, that is Timothy and Silas. And so that's where we are now in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 13, we're going to be taking a look today at what are some characteristics of growth, what are some things that we need to recognize if we're going to grow spiritually and Honestly, some of the pain or negative things that come alongside with that as well. Because here's one of the things that I know to be true. If you started your New Year's resolution in January, I want to be more physically fit. I'm going to go hit the gym. Probably the first time you hit the gym, later on, you were really, really fatigued. You had the jelly arms or the jelly legs, whatever day you chose, right? And you're like, whoo, that was a good workout. I'm jelly. The next day, come on, you remember this. Oh my God, everything hurts. Why does everything hurt? Why does everything hurt? Because your body's not used to that. So what we're going to be seeing in the next couple of verses is a spiritual version of that is as we continue to press forward and pursue the best that God has for us passionately with everything that we have pursuing God, there will be positive gains, but sometimes it comes along with some pain as we grow into that. Hopefully you're tracking with me as you have your Bibles open to chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Let's take a look at the big idea that we have been talking about with this book of 1 Thessalonians from the very beginning, and that is that as a church, whether it's the church of Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians, or it's us, modern-day Owasso, ministering not only in Owasso, but also in Shiawassee County, as the church in Thessalonica was serving uh, in Macedonia, 
we are not only as a church shaped by the gospel, but because we are shaped by the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus, we also are called to spread that gospel. We are called to live it out in our own lives and demonstrate it to those around us. That is the big idea behind all of what we're talking about from beginning to end. I gave you a homework assignment several weeks ago. Perhaps you've already done it. You read through all of 1 Thessalonians. It's a very short book. You can do it in one sitting. If you haven't done so already, please do because it's important to understand the context of everything that we're going through. If you've missed one of the past talks that we've done already, you can see those either on Facebook or go out to Sermon Audio. If you have our church app, there's a link there that you can go back and listen to those talks as well. As we are going to be breaking this down, we're going to talk, take a look at five distinct areas where we can grow and some of the challenges that come with that. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. What we're going to see here in the start of chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, is that number one, the Word of God must be within us. What do we mean by that? Let's take a look at how Paul phrases it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, that is, from Paul, from Silas, from Timothy, they were preaching the good news of Jesus by faith plus nothing. When you heard this or when you received this word of God, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. There's two different big ideas here, the idea of the word received and the word accepted. What Paul is actually unpacking here is when you received, that word has the connotation of scooping up and lifting with your hand, right? To receive something. We would think of this in terms of if you are presented with a gift, right? It's Christmas morning, it's your birthday, or it's just for no reason at all, but someone's presenting you with a gift, no strings attached. They hold it out for you, and there's a part of activity that is on you, right? You have to receive the gift. You have to put your hands out to take it. This is the idea from a spiritual standpoint that Paul and his compatriots are teaching this message of Jesus. It is not about the law any longer for the Jews, but it's also not about these because we talked about that this church is predominantly Gentile because they walked away from the idols that they had been worshiping in order to serve the living God. And so it's not about that religion either. It is about a relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit continues to live in us and through us to change us, to transform us more into the image of his son. As we are doing that, that we receive, we scoop up that word, and then we accept. And accept has this idea like to embrace it, to bring it in. So when you receive that gift, perhaps from a loved one, you open the box, and if it's a good gift, sometimes they're not, I get that, but you received a good gift, what do you often say? Oh, I love it. I want, and I'm going to wear, it's a bracelet. I'm doing this. That's why I'm doing this. It's a bracelet, right? It's a necklace. It's a, it's a fleecy sweater. It feels so nice. Whatever that gift is, not only did you receive it, but now you open it up, you see what it is, and now you've accepted it. You're so in love with this. Understand the concept of love. You appreciate what it is, but now it's yours. You've accepted it. And that is the principle that Paul is explaining to this church of the Thessalonians. Again, predominantly Gentiles who have come out of idol worship in that area. There are lots of quote-unquote churches, not really, they're like temples to false gods. There's certainly the synagogue in Thessalonica. And now Paul is talking to this house church that's growing in this major metropolis. You heard what we spoke to you 
about Jesus. You heard that and you received it. That's the next step. And when you received it, you accepted it. And it began to change how you live. Because you as the church began to recognize that, well, if that's what God's model is, then we need to conform ourselves to that model. We need to step away from those things that distract us, that take us away. And I need to focus on my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you set that New Year's resolution, like I want to be more fit and you wanted to start exercising, you have this ideal, say, body in mind of I want to be, I want to have stamina. I want to have, I don't want to run out of breath so easily. I want to have more strength in doing the tasks. But there's also going to be those things that would distract you, like chocolate chip cookies, right? Nothing wrong with a chocolate chip cookie, but it's not going to help you get to your goal. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, well, you could just do it tomorrow, right? Why don't you come hang out with us? Do your workout tomorrow. Or you get the guys who are like, just keep working on your chest, man. Work on your core. Just got to work on your core. And you skip leg day. And then you got these tiny little legs. It's okay. But those are things that will distract you from the goal. And this is what Paul is trying to unpack is that if we're going to receive and accept, we're going to put away those things that would keep us from passionately pursuing God's best in our lives. Because what? It's going to be working in you. The working in you. Work is actually, in this context, it's the same kind of uh, principle, idea, word that describes energy. The English word that we have for energy. And what that is, is that when you have received that good news of Jesus, when you have accepted and say, I love it, I want to live my life by this. You can already hear it in my voice. Now I'm energized. I have purpose. I have hope. I have experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness. My life is absolutely transformed. And if I'm going to be one that is shaped by the gospel, well, now I just want to share the gospel. Isn't that true? If you found your favorite restaurant, do you keep that a secret so that nobody else goes to your restaurant? <laughs> no, you start telling everybody about your favorite dish because when I go to this restaurant, I get this. Why do I always get this? Because I love this at that restaurant. We want to share those good things that we find in our life. And the same thing is true when I have received and accepted, and now it's working in me. It's working. It's bringing energy and life into my life so that I can be, as Jesus says, living an abundant life. Ooh, that feels good. I want that. So this is the word of God, and it's about the gospel. But as Paul is even unpacking this, he's sort of even referring to the scriptures of the Old Testament. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament yet. Paul is writing this letter, not really understanding that it's going to be part of Bible later on. That's what the church fathers made this, what we call canon. So he's referring to the Old Testament. And we even saw in the Gospels when guys like Philip would speak to an Ethiopian eunuch and he would describe to him the prophecies that were in Isaiah and how Jesus fulfilled all of those. And so the Thessalonian church is actually studying the scriptures and the gospel and understanding that it's supposed to bring about life change. And not only just in me, but in my entire community. I have received it. I have accepted it. And the word of God is going to be in us. How do we do that? Well, one, you may have had part of the New Year's resolution, or we'll call it a goal because that's better, right? Maybe you are joining us in our journey to read through the Bible in the entire year. 
We have resources for that that are in the back there. If you don't have a plan, lots of the digital uh, versions of the Bible already have some kind of a reading plan as well. But we are, as a church, working through to increase our biblical literacy so we understand what all of the Bible says in all of the context of the Bible. So we're reading some of the Old Testament, reading some of the New Testament each and every day so that God's Word can be in us. Here's what happens is that when you have someone who comes to you or perhaps even in your own time, you are struggling with someone. Someone comes to you with a question and you don't have your Bible readily available, do you? So if you know God's word because his word is in us, we are able to give an account for the hope that is within us in season and out of season. My wife and I were discussing recently that we both grew up in churches that had the Awana program. If you're not familiar with Awana, it stands for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed. Long-time program that focused very heavily on reward system, yes, but on Bible memory. And we memorized a lot of scripture. Well, because we wanted prizes and candy, but that's not really the basic point. We have a lot of God's word in our heart, as it were. We memorized it. We've committed it to memory. And I cannot tell you, and maybe you've experienced this if you memorize God's word as well, is that situations arise and I don't have my copy of God's word with me, but God's word comes alive in my mind. I'll give you another, for instance, I had a conversation that I had to have with someone and I was reminded that a quiet tongue turns away wrath. That's a proverb. A quiet tongue turns away wrath. And I kept saying that over and over because I was, I was just feeling like, okay, how am I going to handle this quiet, con- or this awkward conversation? A quiet tongue turns away wrath. And in that conversation, I was able to just keep that as my model. And I tell you what, that conversation went so well. It went so well, and I was able to, at the end of that, going, thank you, Lord, for bringing to mind your word here, the front of my mind, because it transformed how I dealt with that situation. Maybe you've had similar circumstances that the word of God is in us. So we do that by continuing to read his word, to meditate. We're going to talk more about that over the summertime, some of the disciplines. What does it mean to meditate on God's word and certainly to memorize God's word? If you are not in his word daily, if you are not memorizing his word, then you are really starving your spiritual muscles and they cannot grow. Make sense? I'm still using that analogy from the weightlifting thing if you're not tracking with me. Good morning. Okay. So when it comes to God's word, I want to share just a couple quick things with you, some points that you might want to write down. This is coming from, again, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the, Gen- to the Greek, to the Gentile. This is Paul, again, reminding us that when we have received and accepted and it is working in us, we are not ashamed of God's word. As we've talked in past weeks, that a lot of the world wants to say, oh, this has an outdated book. It's not relevant for today's world. It's very relevant for today's world because even the rules that God put into the Old Testament were for the benefit of his people. And even when we apply those to today, it is for our safety. It defines the fences where we know we are safe to play in. And relationships are being crashed on the rocks. People's finances are being crashed on the rocks because they're not following God's word in those things. So when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you are not ashamed. Not only will it shape us, but we will also spread that gospel as well. 
Let me give you a couple quick passages. If you're brand new to maybe checking out faith or you're brand new to maybe you just prayed to receive Jesus not too recently and you're learning about your copy of God's word, I, I want to direct you if, you if you get some time. Psalm 119, a whole lot of verses in it. And I'm just going to capitalize on a couple here. These are 10 things that you will find just in Psalm 119. Again, if you're not doing the reading with us where we're reading through all of Scripture, one practice that you could certainly do is to read through one psalm and one proverb each and every day. And I can tell you that that will have great dividends in your life as well. Psalm 119, which has like 176 verses, it's going to tell us what to do. It's going to cleanse us. The Word of God keeps us from sin. The Word of God gives us life. It strengthens us. Maybe you felt that. You've had a bad day, but God brings to mind a Bible verse that says, yes, I get this. It restores our hope. It comforts us in those dark times when we feel like we're very much alone and isolated. God's Word can bring us comfort. It helps us to not go astray. It guides us and it brings us joy. This is not just any ordinary book, is it? This isn't one that sits on the shelf and you refer to it for reference. And while it contains science, it is not a science book. While it contains history, it is not a history book. While it contains even psychology, it is not a psychology book. It is the story of God. Is Perhaps you've heard it. It's his story, history. From beginning to end, it is God working through the ages to, one, bring about the salvation of mankind at the cross through Jesus Christ, and then the rest of the New Testament tells us how we then live in light of that. Because at the very beginning, he said gonna be, there's going to be a Messiah because of sin, and in the very end, Messiah is going to return and set everything right. God is not done yet. And his word, it says in other places in scripture, that it's like, a, 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 it's live. It's alive and breathing, right? It's a two-edged sword. Get to that here in a second. Because your life experience is constantly changing. So how you read a particular story when you were in your 20s versus how you read it when you were in your 40s versus how you read it when you were in your 60s. Your life changes, and amazingly, your understanding, comprehension, and what it brings to light in your life is always changing. God's Word is amazing that way. That's an Old Testament passage. Let me give you kind of a quintessential New Testament from Hebrews chapter 4, the author writes this, For the word of God is, here it is, the living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, I'll come back to that in just a minute, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What is a double-edged sword? Paul, we think Paul. I should back up. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We think it's Paul. All right. So the author is saying it's like a two-edged sword. What's good about a two-edged sword? A two-edged sword in his day, a Roman weapon, was great for offense and defense. So here he's comparing God's word to offense and defense. It is great for you to use in your own life as a defense against temptation against regret, against worry, against any of those kinds of things that would push themselves in. It is great for defense when someone is making accusations against you in faith, saying, I don't believe those things. Well, have you considered these things from God's word? Great defensive weapon. It's also a great offensive weapon because it tells us how then should we live in this day? Just like Paul is talking to these Thessalonians who are in a place that's very difficult to be a Christ follower. 
there was probably threats upon this church. We know for certain that there were individuals who were coming into the church of Thessalonica and making accusations against Paul, for one, saying, if he really loved you, why isn't he here? And they had already received and applied, accepted, and were working out their faith. And they needed to hear more of God's word to encourage them in that and to be on the offense when it came to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it is a two-sided weapon, something good to have in your arsenal, as it were. So we read and we memorize and we meditate upon God's word. What else do we see in this passage? We are going to see here in a moment that the enemies of God are upon you. Maybe you have felt that recently, maybe more so than you did in years past. Perhaps it's from coworkers, perhaps it's from your neighbor, or more so it's from family and friends who do not share your faith. They would be in classification an antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but an Antichrist. They stand in opposition to what you believe. Here's what we see in verses 14 to 16 of chapter 2. For you brothers became imitators, we'll hit that word a little bit more here in just a second, of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets, drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. More in just a second. I want to grab a couple of these words. Paul is encouraging this church of the Thessalonians saying, good job, you are imitating us, Paul, Silas, Timothy, as we are imitating Christ, you are imitating also the church in Judea. Judea and Jerusalem specifically, Jerusalem was the sort of headquarters of church as it was growing, and they were suffering affliction. And this church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica was actually suffering also, and it says that I was suffering at the hands of your own countrymen. Countrymen is a unique word. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament except in this passage. And it literally is talking about your fellow bondservant, the person you work closest with, your sort of bloodline, your family, those that you spend the most time with, the people that you thought had your back that do not. Maybe you've experienced that, and certainly as we see things unpacked in the later books, and certainly in the book of Revelation, people will do what is right in their own eyes, and it will be difficult to have those relationships where you are speaking the good news of Jesus Christ, but your neighbor will turn on you. If they are in disagreement, you will suffer at the hands of your own countrymen. And we say, well, how is that possible? No way. My neighbor would never turn me in for knowing Jesus. We're not there yet, but here's what I do know. During our isolation several years ago, you weren't allowed to do certain things, were you? And we thought, well, no one's going to really tattle. Boy, were we wrong. And I can tell you that in St. John's where I live, people were ratting each other out like crazy. And it was one of those things where we went, huh, how about that? Your neighbors will turn you in. So when we think through of history... Hmm, we won't go there too much. Your own countrymen, your friends, your family, your neighbors, you might have to suffer at their 
accusations at their hands. So recognize that the enemies, they are upon us. And they are not the enemies that we might think. They're not those that are necessarily outright opposing the church. They might be subtly opposing you. So keep that in mind. As this church continued to imitate Paul and, Sil- Paul and Silas and Timothy, as they imitated Christ, they recognized that they suffered. And as the passage continues on, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. This idea to always fill up the measure, this is brimming, this is overflowing, this is when you get too much coffee in the mug and it's coming over the sides. That's the idea here is that this suffering from the others is overflowing the measure of their sin against you. And yet know this, that while you stand and do all that you can, to live a godly, righteous life, that the only accusation that could be upon you was that you have faith in Jesus. That is what, is there enough evidence? And this is what the book of Job is all about. This is what the Old Testament Jews in antiquity understood, is that you were tried in your faith to see if you were righteous. Were you pursuing the right way to God? Did you have the faith? Is there enough evidence to convict you that you are a Christ follower? And those who oppose, they are heaping up the wrath that has come. Scripture is very clear about that, is that in the end, when all is done, and there is a final, there's actually two judgments. We won't go, be able to go into that here this morning, but there are actually two judgments. One is for those who are believers in Jesus Christ and those who are not Those who are confessed faith in Jesus Christ in life, they will stand before God and they will be measured for the things that they did in their life. There are crowns. We'll see that word here in just a few moments. Those who did not make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ will suffer the wrath for eternity in a place called the lake of fire. Again, go check out your book of Revelation. It says that the Antichrist and the false prophet are the first occupants of that lake of fire. And then all those who did not believe will also be cast into that lake of fire along with our adversary and all of his minions as well. Separated for eternity from God. The wrath. Because sin demands payment. And Jesus already paid it. We just have to accept that gift, receive that gift, and let it work in us. What else do we see? That the people of God, if the enemies of God are upon us, well, thankfully that the people of God are around us. We see that in verse 17. He says this, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Paul is expressing his desire to see the church with his own eyes. We talked about last week how he described his relationship with new believers. And and sometimes we take on this role of a nursing mother, gentle with someone who is brand new to the faith to help them to grow. And then later it becomes more of a, almost a spiritual father as he described it, that I encourage and I commend you and I, I lift you up. I stretch you in your faith. And and the word he's using here, the torn away, is as if the relationship is literally that. They're torn away. They've become orphans from their spiritual fathers. They're on their own. And he doesn't want them to have to feel that. You're not alone. Know that Paul and Silas and Timothy, we are all praying for you. The churches that we talk to are praying for you. You are not alone. So what you are experiencing here is not Sorry, it's not unique. And while we might 
struggle a little bit. We might suffer. We might have affliction. You might get teased at work. You might get teased at the dinner table with family around the holidays. The American church does not suffer as the world church does. The churches in North Korea, the churches in People's Republic of China, the churches in the Sudan, they struggle. They are afflicted. Their very lives could be taken from them. And we do not face that here, not yet. So we can be an encouragement to those churches, but also know that even the things that we struggle with, other churches are struggling with as well. And we can be an encouragement to one another. Know that the people of God are one church. If we claim the name of Jesus Christ, we have brothers and sisters throughout the world. And we need to know that we need to lift them up in prayer as they pray for us in return. Amen? Moving on, there is an adversary of God and he is against you. Paul breaks this out in verse beginning in 18. He says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, this is again that endearing, he wants to be with his people, but he got driven out of Thessalonica. But he says this, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered, interesting phrase. The satanas, as it is in the Greek, is actually the, uh, the opposer. Uh, there is actually, if you go back to the Old Testament, um, if you know the story of Balaam, who was a prophet who was hired by a king to curse Israel, and he couldn't do it. But Balaam had a donkey that he was riding on to go do the thing that he was hired to do as a mercenary. And it says that the donkey stopped in the road and he kept smacking the donkey to try to get him to move because the donkey could see something that Balaam could not. And in that story, the donkey turns around and not the exact words, but was like, dude, something is in the road. Okay, a Satan, a Satan or Satanas is one who creates an obstacle. So keep that, that name in mind is that Satan would throw out obstacles to trip us up. And in this case, it is not only an obstacle, but it is to hinder. And that word is, a, is an army metaphor that is to like set up a barricade to close off a road. Or as we've even seen in some of our modern day uh, cases, to destroy the path. So it makes traversing that path much, much more difficult, if not impossible. And that is how Paul is feeling, is that there is a spiritual force you have to go with this, is that if we as Christians say that we believe in God, we believe in Jesus Christ, we immediately have to recognize that everything that scripture describes is that there is an invisible realm, a spiritual realm that we are not able to perceive with our own eyes. Now, quick jump, not hard, because we can't see certain colors that like certain butterflies or certain uh, birds can see. We are very limited in our senses. So coming over, there is an invisible realm at work for us from God's side and against us from his adversaries. Hmm? Recognizing that that is going on, Paul is saying, I wish I could be with you, but the road for me to get there has become pretty much impossible for me to traverse. Not physically, but from a spiritual standpoint. Everything is going wrong for me to come see you. Clearly, there's an enemy that doesn't want me to be an encouragement to you. So, what do we do in that case? There are times where you will feel like, I am tempted to not necessarily do wrong, although that sometimes comes up as well. Perhaps it's just a temptation to settle. Perhaps the temptation that comes easiest to the American church is to just be comfortable. 
I don't need to get involved. I don't need to do the hard work. I'm just okay. It's me. And I don't really need to share the gospel with anybody else because, well, that could be difficult and awkward. Friends, that is the enemy setting a roadblock in front of you. And if we are going to be Christ following, then we kick roadblocks in and we start marching in because there are people who are on the brink of destruction in their own lives and in the one to come. And we are going to say, as Scripture says, that the gates of hell will not prevail. We are on a rescue mission to bring them back into the family of God. And that is what Paul is trying to say. There is an adversary, and yes, the enemy will oppose you, but the people of God will be around you and continue to pray for you. So know this, as you are doing that, you are not alone. This is what we are as the church. And this is what Paul is encouraging the church in Thessalonica. Even though I can't be with you, keep doing the work. Keep talking about Jesus. Yes, you will face affliction. I wish I could be there with you, but I can't. Not yet, at least, there is opposition. What's another one of those growth areas that we can do? You can write this one down in your notes as well. Is that the rewards of God are before you. Oh, Maybe in this life, you're not making millions of dollars. Maybe in this life, you didn't get all the achievements. You didn't even get all the Awana awards. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's okay. You probably got a lot of Bible verses in your head if you grew up like that. But there are rewards that Scripture promises us. What rewards? I like rewards. We're all competitive. Let's do this. How do we get rewards? Well, here's how he breaks this out in the last two uh, verses of ch chapter 2. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Um, I'm going to jump real quick to the last one, crown of boasting. That sounds terrible. Oh, boasting. Ooh, that's bad. No, no, no. Understand, what is a crown of boasting? also called a crown of achievement. Maybe your, your translation says something different. Again, he's going back to the Roman days of they had that wreath, that laurel that they would put around that said champion. That's the person who gets to stand on the tallest box, right? And go, winner. And this is what he's describing is that you as the people are our hope. Hope is what I, I envision a brighter tomorrow for myself, for you. I continue to pray for you that tomorrow would be more opportunity for you to grow and to not only be shaped by the gospel, but also to spread the gospel. It brings me joy when, as Paul is seeing this, he's receiving reports from Silas and from Timothy that things are actually still going really well in Thessalonica. Even though he's not there, they're continuing the work. Jump to the book of Revelation again. The first three chapters, we see seven different churches. They're called stars or lampstands. There are seven different churches, and all but one are given a correction, but one of them is told, you keep up doing what you are doing. There is a joy in the work that we have been given. The great commission, the great commandment, the mission that Jesus gave to us to make disciples of all people, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he's commanded us. That is where our hope for the future is. That is where our joy in today is. And our crown of achievement is that this is those crowns that we were singing about earlier that I would lay down at their feet 
at the feet of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, when we all come up, it is not a boasting of myself. It is a boasting in the Lord because of the Holy Spirit going before. And I was faithful in obedience to share that good news of Jesus Christ, that there's more coming into the kingdom than what I can take with me. You've heard that old adage, you can't take it with you, right? You've never seen a U-hole connected to a hearse, right? No matter how much you work at or try to achieve, no matter how big your 401k is, your bank account is, no matter how many Awana awards you have, coming back to that, yes I am, all of the achievements that you have mean nothing when it comes to the end. The only thing, the only thing that we're able to take with us is other people. So, if that's the only thing that will actually go with us into eternity, then doesn't that say something about the importance of where we choose to prioritize our time, our talents, and our treasures? Howard Hendricks says it this way, only two things in the world are eternal. The word of God and people. It only makes sense that we build our life around these things that will last forever. The word continues on into eternity. And while we have a role to play here. And yes, I want to see God transform my life. But you know what? I don't want to be an American narcissist where I say, hey, this is all about me. Because it's not. From the very beginning, it's about community. It's Jesus is saying, there's room at my Father's table for one more, for one more, for one more, for one more. Will you be the one to extend the invitation to say, I would love for you to meet the Father. Friend, if you're here today and you have never made that decision to follow after Jesus, let that be today. It's the greatest decision you can ever make. It will absolutely transform everything about how you live. And if you would like to make that decision today, I would love to be the one to show you from Scripture how you can know to have a hope for today and a hope for the future. We have a gift for you, a, a copy of God's Word to get you plugged in and rooted to start learning those kinds of things. We would love to do that. You can see me right here in the front as we close today, and I would love to pray with you, show you how you can start a brand new relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and experience the guidance of the Holy Spirit in all the decisions that we make. Because we want to be shaped by the gospel, but we also want to be shaped sharing the gospel. We are a church, Grace Bible Church, that makes disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Amen? I hope this has been an encouragement to you because as we have seen 80% of people fail in their New Year's resolutions, that's why this is not a New Year's resolution. This is who we are. We're being called by Christ to demonstrate these things, to have an awareness that Yes, there are enemies around us, but God's people are for us. There is an adversary that stands against us, but God's word, when it is in us, it promises reward before us. And we may never know. Perhaps uh, if, you're, if you've been in faith long enough and have listened to the radio, there was a song once that was called, Thank You. And it was just, I'm not going to say it, I was thinking it was Ray Bolts. It was just, thank you for giving to the Lord. And it was, it was a man who was standing in eternity, and he was approached by someone who said, you don't know me, but you gave to this missionary who was able to share the gospel with me. You don't know me, but the influence that you had teaching a Sunday school class and that student came and shared the gospel with me. You don't know me, but, and he, as the, the song describes that there was just this line of people who kept coming up and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for faithfully serving Christ in doing what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today.
I thank you for the opportunities you give to us each and every day to share the love of Jesus with those around us, whether it's with our coworkers, with our children, our grandchildren, our loved ones, maybe a neighbor, even those we do not know who are strangers to us, but we see their need. Father, let us be faithful in that. And let us not succumb to the opposition that we might face, but to instead be encouraged by those who are continuing to pray for us as we pray for them. Let us be shaped by the gospel, but let us also spread the gospel, share it as we invest and invite in others. We ask you for all these things in Jesus' precious name and by the power of your Holy Spirit.